Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Here at the center of the book of Acts, we're at the end of chapter 14 of 28, and we have the ringing declaration that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That's why we sang Psalm 46, to remind us that, yes, we will be attacked. God is on our side. The world will fall apart. Uh, Waves, mountains crashing, all these things, that happens. That's part of life in this world, but God is on our side, and the strength of God is greater than the strength of any persecution, any suffering, any opposition that we can encounter. So reading about Paul and Barnabas and how they were strengthened by the gospel they proclaimed, how the churches were strengthened by the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, and how faith was strengthened, this should give us strength to stand for the truth, to serve God even if the mountains are tottering and the ocean is swirling, rising, crashing in great waves. God is more powerful than the mighty waters. God is more powerful than the raging peoples. Let's start at verse 19 of Acts 14. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, that is, to Lystra, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father, give us the grace to suck nourishment from this passage of your word. Help us to be strengthened by what we read here. Be given the guts to stand for the truth, the strength to persevere in the faith, the strength to undergo the many tribulations attendant upon entering the kingdom of God. Lord, you help us in our weakness. Help us now. Give us the strength to listen, the strength to care, the strength to hear, and the strength to obey. Give me the strength to preach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke uses the key word in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is so important that we're going to come back next week as well and look more particularly at how those souls were strengthened. But I want to look at the whole passage first as we see the gospel strengthening Paul and Barnabas to proclaim it as we see strength for their faith as they entrust daughter churches to God and the mother church entrusted them to God and then strength for the churches with elders and reports about mission work 
Luke is focusing on this theme of being strong in the Lord here as we come to the end of the first missionary journey. So the first point, the first thing we should see is that the gospel strengthens those who proclaim it. Strength for the stoned, as I've titled the sermon, not in the sense of somebody on drugs, though the gospel is strength for them too, but strength for Paul who was literally beaten with stones until they thought he was dead. They threw big rocks at him and dragged him out of the city, verse 19. And he, strengthened by God, by the message he proclaimed, got up and went right back into town. The gospel, the God that he served, gave him strength to recover from that level of persecution. Now Luke doesn't major on action scenes. He typically, this is his trademark, we've got a great action scene here. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, and he rose up. Luke reports that to us in two verses. The escape by night in the basket from Damascus, that's one or two verses as well. He didn't load up this book with car chases and action scenes because that's not what most of the Christian life is. But he's also telling us, when you do have those action scenes, when terrible things happen, God is stronger than the enemy, than the suffering, than the pain. So, not only was he strengthened to get up and go back into town, but he's strengthened to return the long way back to where they had come from. If you think about the geography of our own sector of North America here, this missionary journey was roughly equivalent to leaving Gillette and traveling west down Interstate 90 until you get to Seattle, and then swinging up through British Columbia and across into Alberta, and then down through Calgary, back through the north end of Montana, and coming down roughly to about Bozeman. So that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They got all the way to Bozeman, we could say. And then we say, oh, Bozeman, that's only five hours. They'll be back in no time. But no, they turned around and they went back the long way. Back up to Calgary, back through British Columbia, down to Seattle, and then all that long way back along Interstate 90 because they were strengthened by God to do the job he had put in front of them, which was to preach and make disciples. They cared about the churches they had planted, and so rather than saying, home, Antioch, we're almost there. They said, no, we're going to turn around and we're going to take the three or four month journey back in order to make sure that we see and help and strengthen all these churches that we planted along the way. Right? They didn't say, hmm, how many cities did we get dragged out of? How many cities did they want to kill us in? They said, how can we care for the souls of these people that have been entrusted to us? How can we help the disciples stay disciples? And so that's what they did. They were strengthened by God to not only get over stoning, but to go back the long way around through some rough territory and through some hostile cities in order to keep making disciples. When God has called you to a task, you're not allowed to say, 
Lord, I feel that continued obedience to you could jeopardize my life. Therefore, I'm going to disobey. Right? Paul could have said that. Lord, I'm pretty sure if I try to make any more disciples in Lystra, Iconium, or Antioch, there's a good chance that I'll end up with an ice pick in the back of my head. He doesn't say that. He goes and does his work. Now for all of us, right? I guarantee that you're called to shepherd your wife. That you're called to evangelize your kids. That you're called as a citizen, as an employee, as a student, as a family member. All of us have different roles, different callings. Some of them, you could change jobs. You could change schools. But you can't change families. And even if you do change your job or change your school, you're still called as an employee. You're still called as a student. You're still called as a parent, a child, a spouse. And when God calls you, as he called Paul to be an apostle, you can't say, God, the risk of serving you is too great at this point. I opt out. I'm going to go serve Satan again. Luke is telling us that you have to be faithful to the calling God has placed on you, even at the risk of your life. Now today is a Sunday when across North America, uh, many churches are dedicating the service to speaking on biblical sexual morality. Uh, Some of you have probably heard of the bill that passed the Canadian Parliament a couple of weeks ago without a single dissenting vote in either house. We can only imagine that kind of unity here in our political system, but in Canada they have it, and it's a unity hostile to the Christian gospel. The bill bans what they call conversion therapy, but what we as Christians simply call conversion. And I can share more details afterwards, but essentially the bill says anyone who tries to counsel or help with diminishing unwanted same-sex attractions and desires, or anyone who tries to encourage someone to live in accordance with their birth sex is guilty of a hate crime and subject to five years in prison. That's a parent saying, son, you're my son, you're not my daughter. That's a pastor saying, God says, if you lie with a man as with a woman, that's an abomination. That's a counselor, a teacher. All kinds of people are likely to fall foul of this law, and especially, of course, our Canadian brothers and sisters. And what would Luke say? What would Paul say? What would Barnabas say if they heard about this law? They wouldn't say, I'm shocked. I'm horrified. What has gotten into the heads of the Canadians? They would say, that sounds a lot like Lystra. That sounds like Iconium. That sounds like Pisidian Antioch. That sounds like the first century world in which we lived and in which we wrote the book of Acts for you. That's what they would tell us. Paul would not be surprised. Barnabas would not be surprised. Their one-sentence summary in all the places that they returned to was, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. 
They announce that persecution is normal and persecution is necessary. They didn't announce persecution is normal and necessary for those of us here in the East. Persecution is necessary for those in the third world. Persecution is necessary for those unfortunate enough to live under a dictatorship. But persecution is not normal for people in North America. There's no little asterisk there except residents of the following territories. No. We, as in everyone who wants to follow Jesus, must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. This does not mean one or two tribulations 30 years apart. Oh, I had a tribulation back in 1991. Man, I guess I'm about due for another one. We must through many tribulations. In other words, if you think persecution is abnormal and unnecessary, you disagree with the apostles. You haven't understood the message of Acts, which talks about the rise, progress, and triumph of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. It's mentioned at the beginning and end of Acts and right here in the middle. And Luke's dictum on the kingdom is that it proceeds by suffering. Not other people's suffering, our suffering. That's how we go to heaven. Perhaps in the sense of soul-making, There's something to that that, yeah, God has to beat on you to make you a better person. But mostly in the sense of imitation. We hang a torture machine in the front of our room here. We call it a cross. We forget that that's what it is because we see it everywhere. Our symbol is an executioner's tool. Because the Son of God suffered persecution to the point of death, that's why we have to enter the kingdom of God through tribulation too. Samuel Rutherford said, those who don't want persecution demand two heavens, one here and one to come. If Jesus suffered to death, we should expect that we will, or might, as well. Well, The gospel strengthened Paul and Barnabas not only to get up from being stoned, not only to turn back and go the long way around back to Antioch to visit everybody, but also to openly say persecution is a fact of life. There's nothing in here about Paul got up and boy was he outraged. Paul got up and he was so mad that they would do this to a Roman citizen. It doesn't bother telling us how Paul felt about getting stoned. Most of us, I dare say, would be happy to tell everyone how we felt about getting stoned. That's not the point. The point is being like Jesus who suffered The gospel strengthened those who proclaimed it to say, you're going to suffer. The gospel also strengthened the faith of the church. One way in which we see this is in verse 23. They appointed elders in every church, prayed with fasting, and commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
Paul and Barnabas were there maybe for a few weeks and then came back through maybe for another week or two and then said, go. You're a church. You have the resources you need to be a self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating congregation. We're out of here. Now that takes faith. That takes a lot of faith. Not, oh man, you guys are baby Christians. We need to stick around and help you because frankly, you're going to do a pathetic job without us. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas' statement. Rather, they appointed elders and then commended them to God. Parents, we have a hard time doing this with our children. Well, kid, I commend you to God. Go live your life. If Should the Lord call us to plant a daughter church in Sheridan or elsewhere? We might have a hard time letting go. Oh, how are they going to do? How are they going to do? We can't let go. Paul and Barnabas let go because they had faith. God will take care of these people. Yes, they're in hostile cities. Yes, there's an elite of notable women and of angry Jews that have as their goal to stamp out the church. And we just have to put that in God's hands. The mother church was also strengthened. If you go down to verse 26, in Antioch, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had, been, which they had completed. Antioch had let two of its finest go. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how hard it is when God says, release for ministry your favorite people. The ones you really like, the ones you don't want to lose, your superstars, let them go. Surely the Antioch church was smart enough to know that in Paul they had somebody very special. And they let him go. They commended him to God. They knew to some degree what conditions were like in Cyprus and in uh, the province of Asia. They let Paul go. They commended him to God. It's not so easy to entrust missionaries to God when they're people you know, people you love, people you wanted to live the rest of your life right next to. And that's exactly what the church did. Letting missionaries go is part of the suffering, part of the tribulation through which we inherit the kingdom of God. We don't pretend and say, oh, it's easy to send missionaries. Oh, we just love letting our best people go spend their lives in Africa. We like those people because those people minister here just like they would over there. And to let them go means that we don't get that benefit anymore. But we're sharing it. We're giving it to the world. Leaving the place we love, letting those we love leave, it's necessary because Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He left his father's home and came here to save us and that's why we send out missionaries. And finally, the gospel strengthens churches. They appointed elders for the daughter churches. We'll talk about this at greater length next week, but ministry in the New Testament is team ministry. That's why Luke consistently tells us that there was a team. We saw at the beginning... Peter and John. John never says anything, but it's Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John. 
And here, in this first missionary journey, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas never says anything, seemingly, but Luke will not let us forget that he's there. And in fact, he ascribes just about everything that's said to both Paul and Barnabas. And then in case you missed it, missed the reality that ministry is team ministry, he says specifically, they appointed elders, plural, in every church. A church with only one elder needs another elder. You can't have, you should never have, in New Testament terms, a solo ministry. The church is led by elders, not by elder. Or, term interchangeable in New Testament, pastors, not by pastor. Hence, in our Presbyterian system, our book of church order states that should the church at any time drop below two elders, it loses its status as a church and becomes a mission church that has to be governed by elders borrowed from other churches. So should something happen to two of our three elders, and we were down to one elder, we would automatically come under the guidance of the Rocky Mountain Presbytery, our regional church, until such time as they could appoint perhaps an elder from Cheyenne or an elder from Billings to come and make up a plurality of elders so that there would be, on the New Testament model, elders in every church. Paul and Barnabas strengthened the churches. That was... It's a hostile world. There are people in these cities who hate the Christian faith, who want to murder apostles. Let's arm the church against them by creating a bunch of picket signs where everyone can stand outside City Hall. No. By getting people registered to vote. No, that's not what they did. They appointed elders, and then they said, okay, you're strengthened. You have the message that persecution is normal, and you have elders, and you can do this. We're gone. They strengthened the churches. They also strengthened their home church when they had come and gathered the church together, verse 27, they reported all that God had done with them. Missionary reports in Antioch were a big deal. It doesn't say that they did it on Wednesday night when 20% of the congregation was there. They explicitly and deliberately sought to have the whole church there to hear it. Quite frankly, this is something that we've done, that I've done rather poorly in this church. We have thank you notes and letters from several of our missionaries on the bulletin board in the hall. I would be pretty surprised if more than two or three of you have even read those, or even knew that they were there. We need to figure out how to do this better. Because the New Testament model is that when you have a missionary and that missionary comes, you all gather, you all hear from him, You all listen to what God had done. And notice that Paul and Barnabas didn't report all that they had done. They weren't toot-your-own-horn kind of people. We don't see Paul saying, and then I said to Sergius Paulus, they reported what God had done with them. The emphasis throughout was on God's work. Here's what God is doing. And a missionary whose reports aren't that way is not a missionary that is acting like Paul and Barnabas. 
And it's the same with anybody in ministry. If it's all me, 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 my accomplishments, I built this church, I'm doing tremendous things for God, you aren't thinking in New Testament terms. So they announced God's work, and then they enjoyed time together. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. That is part of strengthening the church. Paul and Barnabas were just there, part of their church, enjoying the fellowship, enjoying the hospitality, teaching, making disciples, living in the love and warmth and kindness of their church before heading out on another missionary trip. In fair weather, men in the sails, that's what they're doing. They're strengthening themselves and their church for the task of making new disciples. So there's a place for the hot and heavy goodbyes, the epic mission trips. Those are good things. The church needs to be doing those. There's also a place for the quiet. We're just at home. We're in church together. We love each other. We're encouraging each other in day-to-day life. So we enjoy time with each other. We pray for the missionaries we have out on the field. We support them. We encourage them. And we minister to them when they come back. So look at the kind of strength the gospel gave to Paul and Barnabas. Strength to not come and whine to Antioch. That's it. We're never going out again. Those people hate us. Strength to come and report what God is doing. Strength to get up from being stoned and go back to ministry. Strength to say, yeah, the world is not going to like this. The world is going to make certain aspects of the Christian faith illegal from time to time and turn its administrative guns on whatever it doesn't like. So in Paul and Barnabas's case, there are different things the world didn't like. We'll get to the riot in a few chapters where the Silversmith Guild didn't like them taking away the market for idols. And in some of these other places, they didn't like Paul taking away Jewish influence and superseding it with Christian influence. But Paul and Barnabas weren't afraid of that. And they weren't stunned by that. And they weren't angry about that. They drew strength from the Lord. And they strengthened the churches they had planted. And they drew strength from the church that had sent them out. So we commend our Canadian brothers and sisters to God. We pray for them. We encourage them. And we understand that we don't compromise with Satan's way. Satan influences the kingdoms of this world to say conversion is illegal. We say we must obey God rather than men. Conversion may be illegal according to Ottawa. But conversion is not illegal according to Jesus. Let's believe the good news and live in it. And we'll have the same strength that Paul and Barnabas had even as we suffer to enter the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to actually believe that we must enter the kingdom through many tribulations. We pray for strength for our Canadian brothers and sisters that you would help them to know, to believe, to act on the reality that conversion 
is still a good thing. It's still something you command and something you encourage us to do and to help others do as we have opportunity. Father, we pray for us in this congregation that you would give us the strength to keep ministering, to love one another, and to recover from persecution, to strengthen our church, to strengthen our missionaries. We thank you that your son suffered and that he has now entered into glory. And we pray that you would help us to not try to get the order of that reversed, where we demand the glory first and postpone any suffering till later. Help us to be willing to suffer for the sake of the reward, for the sake of knowing Christ and being like him. We pray in his name. Amen.